0: Um, hello. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Brian. I'm the youth Learning young adults pastor here at Darling Street Anglican Church, and I'll be filling in for Mark this week.
1: Um, before we get started, how about we pray? Um, Father in heaven, we give you thanks. We give you thanks. Lord, that you've kept us all safe. Um, we pray, Lord, that you will
0: help us to focus on your word today. Push out the worries and concerns of the world, and help us, Lord, to see your glory so that we can reflect your glory in this world. Um, The youth have been asked to stay in on service this week for several reasons, one of which is I'm going to be talking about them in the intro. Um, It's been really great connecting with the youth of this church, and we hope that we can grow and connect with other youth as we seek to know God and live in response to it. But we had this interesting conversation about two weeks ago, which completely railroaded our Bible study, where we went from looking at the book of Matthew to looking at the traits of the significant figures in the Old Testament. See, at school, one of our youth has been asked to demonstrate how one of the significant figures in the Old Testament, Samson, aligned with a classic hero object. Words are important, meaning is important, but not all interpretations are accurate. One aspect of postmodern education which infuriates me is this idea that you can argue anything just as long as you argue it academically. Within their context, the significant figures of the Old Testament aren't classical hero figures. The motif posits that the classical hero should be should have a divine or a kingly lineage. Think Perseus or Hercules, whose father is Zeus. The classical hero possesses great traits or abilities that separates them from their contemporaries, bravery, cleverness, skill with the sword. And for those who know the Lord of the Rings books, think Aragorn. Next slide. They may appear normal on the surface, but when presented with difficult situations, they overcome them with their sheer force of will. Blah, blah, blah. These characters are heroes. They are perfect. They are modeled to be the people we desire to be, not the people who we are. The classic hero motif paints a picture of an unattainable human being. Good bloodline, beautiful, perfect in every way. But the ancient texts of the Bible do not paint that picture. The figures in the Old Testament aren't like this at all. Moses doesn't come from a special kingly or divine family. When standing in the presence of God, he rejects God's call to help Israel in Egypt. Eventually, he does go to help. But he disobeys God time and time again, so much so that God tries to kill him. In time, rage and fury encompass him so much, he disobeys God and is, pre- and is prevented from entering into the promised land. Moses is a broken and flawed individual who struggles to live in response to knowing God and knowing what it means for his context. His greatness doesn't come from him. King David, the great King David, who as a boy rises and stands against the Philistines, a great hero figure, a man who's probably closest to the classic hero motif with great intelligence and military prowess. But this same person who spies a woman Bathing on top of her house, and this is contentious, but I honestly believe it has a biblical merit. He rapes her and attempts to have her husband killed. He is not a classical hero. He's not someone you would aspire to be with or to aspire to be to, or you would want your children to aspire to be to. He is just someone who struggles to live in response to knowing who God is and what it means for his context. His greatness doesn't come from him. You can go down the list. The figures in the Old Testament aren't heroes. The biblical accounts make for a very bad basis for a classical hero motif. The strong, the smart, the brave, people who can do no wrong. Instead, just like you and me, they are broken and flawed people. They have problems. They sin. Their greatness doesn't come from them. Now, why do I bring this up? Throughout the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the book of 2 Corinthians. We have seen the workings of one of the early first century churches, and we see this theme. They're not a perfect church. They're not a model church or a hero church, which we should aspire to be to. They are flawed people. They sin. They get angry. They need love and reconciliation. And in turn, they need to show love and reconciliation. This group of people are some of the earliest Christians who trust in the salvation that Jesus provides and they have the indwelling of the Spirit, but they aren't perfect. They're broken and flawed. Like the figures in the Old Testament, they wrestle with what it means to be Christian, to know God. To be in relationship with God, to live it out in their context. And so here we come to our first point. Our lives, it's like our lives are not a ministry of human power, but a ministry of the Spirit. Let me say it again according to the Bible, ministry or the outworking of our faith is not an act of human power, but a work of the Spirit. Years ago, I was involved in an Alcoholics Anonymous program with the church. I was a helper because I was a social worker. I talked to people, I made coffee and tea, I prayed with those who asked for it. As a social worker, I knew that Alcoholics Anonymous is really hit and miss. For some people, they swear by it, they attend regularly, they move through all the steps, they become a supporter of others. And there are some think it's a waste of time. It's not that they don't want to quit. It's not that they don't have a desire to get off alcohol. They just don't engage well with the 12-step process. They just don't get the program. And I was always really curious about why. It's an international program. There are probably millions of attendees across the world, but it's so hit and miss. I learned that the founders of the Alcoholics Anonymous program were actually Christian. And the framework for the 12-step program is actually based on Christian principles. And a key step it relies on it's a, is a vital Christian concept, a step not many can actually grasp or live out in their lives, but it's an essential step for the 12-step journey, as well as our journey with God. It's step one. We must admit that we are powerless. We cannot control our circumstances, our lives, our problems. We have no power over them, but they hold power over us. We can't deal with our sin. Our sin controls us. So who does have the power over our issues? Who can transform us? At the end of chapter three of 2 Corinthians, it says, now, the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is Spirit. These verses dovetail into our passage today. They remind us it's not your work. It's not your great family name, your great power, your great intelligence. It doesn't matter how long you've been coming to church or how connected you are, which doesn't. You are powerless to know God, to live up to his standards, to know him. You have no control. It is a gift from God. It is the work of the Spirit that gives us this freedom to transform us into the likeness of him, his goodness, bit by bit, transforming us to be the people that we are meant to be. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, do not lose heart. In the beginning of chapter 4, Paul reminds us of this joy that he holds onto when things go wrong, and throughout 2 Corinthians, we've been reminded of a lot of things that have gone wrong Paul says because of God's mercy at work because of the spirit at work we do not lose heart this freedom it isn't a freedom to to be carefree to do whatever we want no it's a freedom to not get caught up in being in control to trying to be the hero or the solution to these problems So how does this idea play out in your life? How are you finding your walk with God or at church? Do you know the freedom that comes from the Spirit, a freedom which allows God to shape his ministry, his church, for his glory's sake? Or do you just wish things were done better your way? For Paul, it frees him. It frees him from not having to play the game of politics, backroom conversations, whispers and gossip, the idea of controlling the narrative or fixing the Corinthian church in a human sense. Instead, he does what is right and good. Verse 2, rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. Throughout this letter, Paul has been loving, open, and honest. He's dealt with things head on, and God's glory is the goal of his church, not his own glory. No games. God's word is at the center of what we plan to do, and we teach the word plainly. And the beauty of God's spirit is that the one that transforms God's word, God's message, what we know as the Bible, is taught plainly and the Spirit will be at work in individuals. A couple of weeks ago, Mark asked the question, which went along the lines of how equipped, how confident do you feel about sharing the gospel with someone or evangelizing someone? Paul goes on to remind us in verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing, The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus Christ's sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts and gave us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Mark reminded us it's the Spirit at work in us. You have no power. You're not smart enough. You're not eloquent enough. You're not brave enough to save anyone. You're not a hero, but it's God who does it. The world is blinded by the gospel, but it's God who displays the glory of Christ to them through us. So when you feel that moment, to shine the light of God in the darkness, to speak to someone who, whose hurt or hardship is, is weighing them down, comfort them with the gospel. Don't worry about what you're going to say, but rather let go of control and let God speak through you. When you feel that moment to invite someone to church, don't worry about what they're going to think of you. Let go of control. Let God speak and see how they respond. When someone you know needs to understand the truth of the gospel, remember they are veiled and blinded because of a myriad of things, and it's not your words that's going to unblind them. Let go of control. The truth of the gospel is freedom given to us by the Spirit. So, do not lose heart. Speak the truth plainly and let your light shine out of the
1: darkness. Let God work. That's the encouragement. And now, the realities.
0: If it was as easy as saying a couple of things... The gospel is a gift, it's a precious gift, but the realities of our world, they're, they're complex. I was sitting in a pastoral care, pastoral care class at Bible college. I was tired, the class was at the end of the day. And to be honest, it was, it was a little bit too lovey-dovey, even for a bleeding heart social worker like me. We were going around the room answering the question, what is your name and why are you here? And the people in the room are answering the question in a typical way. It's a really great skill to learn. All the things like I was going to say, you know, it's really important, blah, blah, blah. You know, but I was just a bit too tired to pay attention. Then one answer
1: sparked my interest. It made me sit up in my chair and pay attention. It was the turn of a young language. Graduate. He was now studying his master's at. I don't want to be here. I plan on doing it here as a pastor.
0: I'm here to teach the Word of God. My exterior was cool and a collected demeanor as I let the lecturer graciously handle his response, but on the inside, I was laughing so hard, thinking your first church is going to chew you up and spit you out so hard. This young man felt that gospel work was as simple as the proclamation of God's word, plainly, without distortion. And you know, to a certain extent, it is. Verse 7 says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This treasure is the gospel. It is the word of God. It's why we gather here today. It's why we go to small groups. And the jars of clay, well, that's us. We are these imperfect, fragile beings but we contain this all-surpassing power that is from God, the good news that is Jesus Christ. But it's not as simple as walking around and just telling people. If it were, don't you think we could just hire a TV station, pay for YouTube ads, forge and create a system where the gospel was just broadcast and beamed into devices of everyone 24-7 and... And people could come to know God left, right, and center.
1: We have this treasure. But we are hard. That wasn't because I was emotional. I just kind of
0: choked. (laughs) We are hard pressed on every side. We live in a world that is broken. And in its brokenness, it rejects the gospel. The dark cannot abide the light because what the light does is it reveals in its nature, but the dark allows us to hide. So the world is veiled and it seeks to keep the veil on. It seeks to be kept in the darkness so it can do what it wants and stay in the dark. But in response to this, Paul shares a promise with us. Verse 8 continued, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. As much as the world can try to hide the light in you, as much as the world will strike at you, the treasure you carry, it protects you. You may be harmed, you may face hardship, you may feel rejected, but the treasure you carry will keep you whole. Verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that in his life, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal
1: body. You will face hardship. Your faith or ministry is not like that
0: student thought. It's not an easy task. Just standing in front of people, explaining things and teaching. Instead, in facing hardship, the life of Jesus will be revealed through you. A couple of years later, I actually got a chance to catch up with him. He had been let go from a church. In caring for him and reminding him of the treasure he still held, he noted what he said in that class a couple of years earlier and reflected that pastoral care was actually really important. It was a reminder to both of us that we live in a broken world What pastoral care does is it helps us to shine the light of Christ to people in dark places, to love, to care, to hold firm to the treasure that we have so that other people can do it also. He's going well now, though he learned a hard lesson of how our world is a broken place. Even though our world is a broken place, whilst we have temporary suffering we have an eternal hope a transformation in store the end of chapter 4 wraps with an important reality our world is broken and it will cause us suffering but our hope and transformation is eternal paul is very pastoral he learnt it early on by god's grace in, he says in verse 16 therefore we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day this is going to be an odd thing for me to say i am getting old i know i don't look it i still get carded when i buy alcohol a couple of years ago a student at st andrew's cathedral thought i was in year 11. i'm actually 37. I'm at the point in my life where I still look young but my outward appearance is slowly wasting away. I don't have the youth and the vigor of an Oliver Leach. I look at Oliver and I feel tired. When I go to the doctor, I'm reminded of this reality. High cholesterol, sleep apnea, high body mass index. It is my stark reality that outwardly I'm wasting away. I mean, I always was, but when you're in your 20s, you can kind of pretend like it's not happening. Our world is broken. We live in an age of technology, drugs, and diets. Just buy this, just take that, just eat this. But none of it actually stops you from wasting away.
1: It's the reality of our world but don't lose heart. Because of our gift,
0: because of the gospel, we are inwardly being renewed day by day. If you seek the ministry of God's mercy, God works and God changes you bit by bit, day by day, glory by glory to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And the hardships that we face, Paul says, verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The treasure we have, the light and the darkness, doesn't just provide momentary relief, a delay in our outward wasting away, it shapes us inside, it grows us within. So that we are transformed into eternal glory. When Jesus returns in all his splendor and glory, we become a part of his splendor and glory. And all our brokenness, our darkness, it's washed away. The light that we once held, we no longer hold because it becomes
1: us. We are the glory. But until then, what do we do
0: in the meantime? What should you do in the meantime? How do we live in response to our relationship with God? And how do we hold on to the light in the darkness? It's not easy knowing God. It's not easy being a Christian to others. It's not easy being a part of a church. But we need to get involved in the community and the running of church. We need to get involved in being a Christian amongst others who are hard to love, amongst others whose perceptions might scare us. We need to be involved in knowing God, gathering together in small groups, reading God's word together, admonishing one another to know the true God and live out this knowledge. Remember verse 5? We preach not ourselves, but Christ, for Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. All this so, verse 18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So, what does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to know God and follow him? 2 Corinthians is a book packed full of lessons of what this means. But for today, let us consider this. Let's wind all the way back to the beginning. We started by talking about the classic hero motif and how we shouldn't see the Old Testament figures as heroes. Because the reality is, what made them special was they knew god what they what made their deeds great was that god was actually working through them they weren't perfect people but flawed people who god was working through and the danger for us is if we think of them as heroes we start to see some christians that
1: are around us that we know as perfect and to be a heroes in our communities. And we can look at others and
0: think greatness comes from them. Look at so and so, they're so godly. Look at so and so, I can't be as good as them. I can't be as perfect as them. I can't sing as well. I can't pray as eloquently, I don't know as much of the Bible. We can make everyone else seem like a classic Christian hero motif, perfect, unattainable, unachievable. So what does one do in that circumstance? Imperfect beings surrounded by supposedly perfect Christians? Well, what we do is we just sit back. We don't get involved. I'm not ready yet. I'm I'm, I'm not at that stage yet. I'm, I'm not good enough yet.
1: But nobody here is a hero. Not even Paul, the author of 2 Corinthians. He's not perfect.
0: Nobody here
1: is perfect.
0: Not Mark, our pastor, not me. Not our wardens, not the people who serve up here, not the people who sing. But those who know God have to live it. Those whom are saved by Jesus have this gift, this light, and they must shine it in the darkness. Maybe today after service, maybe this week at Bible study with a friend or a Christian that you know well. You can ask the question of how can I shine my light in the darkness? How can I and be transformed by him
1: day by day? How about we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's not our strength or but it's your work in our lives. We are sorry. We are sorry that we avoid being your light.
0: We are sorry for not taking the opportunities to, to share your word,
1: to care for people, or to serve you in your church. Help us by your spirit. Guide us by your word. Shine your light so that we can encourage one another to love those who do not know you so they may know Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.